0: All right, Redeemer, good morning. Good, good. Love to hear your voices. As Pastor Mark said, my name is Jared McClain. For those who may not know me, my wife, Catherine, and our daughter, Winslow, um, and her godparents, the Roses, who are coming up on one year of marriage next month. So. Zoom, how you doing? Good to see your faces, even though I can't, but I do in spirit. Um, So we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, starting in verses 14, going to verse 21. And I'll read our passage first, and then we will say a word of prayer. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul. may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy towards us. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Spirit. Lord, we ask now in these moments that you would lend us your Spirit to not only be hearers of your Word, but doers, Would you help me in these moments to stand under your word and not above it? Use me to speak the truth and nothing but the truth. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Recently, I had to get a new car battery. And this was during COVID, I think from March to July my car sat in my driveway. Well, it's a parking spot, not a driveway. Um, it just sat there. And I assumed the first time I would drive the car, I figured it wouldn't start. I just figured you, you start the car one time, you let it run and then all things are well. Um, so that's what I did. I got up one, more, one, one morning, I started my car. It didn't start. I jumped it. I said, that's okay, let's jump it. Let's get it going. I drove around the city for a while, I came back home. The next day I wake up, the car doesn't start. So I figure, ah, that's okay. Let me, let me do it one more time. So I do it again. I get up, I jump the car, I start the car, I drive around, a little bit longer this time, assuming that this battery just has to warm up. The next morning, my car doesn't start. So I take it to my local car shop dealer, and he tells me, hey, I think you're battery is okay. It's, it's not brand new. It's not perfect. It's not going the way it's supposed to go, but it should start. It should give you some life. And I thought, well, that's good news to me because I, I didn't want to spend a hundred plus dollars on a new battery. We have a seven month old now. Um, so I say, okay. So I go home the next day. My car doesn't start. So then I think, you know what? Let let me just jump it one more time. Let me just do it again. Plot twist. My car doesn't start. (laughs) So then I get a second opinion. And this time, the gentleman tests the battery. And he says, well, here's the problem. You have bad cells within the battery. So the very thing that's supposed to give power to the entire car is not working properly. The very thing that's supposed to give power to this car is powerless. In that moment, I thought, boy, that'll preach. There it is. Lord gives me an illustration for one day to preach that to someone. And here it is. What, What I want to submit to you this morning is simply this, that what is true of my car battery is true of the Christian life. See, your spiritual well-being must be predicated on God's power and not your own. The only way that car could start is if it had an unending power, a power source that doesn't falter. But the very mechanism that it needed to start wasn't well. See, you, you, you don't have the power within yourself to withstand and navigate nor flourish in this world. Especially during these uncertain and hostile times we live in, not to mention the dis- disasters and tragedies that just come to your door sp- spontaneously. What are you to do when those things happen? It's easy to think that we can rely on ourselves to get through those moments. But that's not how we were created. See, what the 21st century Christian needs to ensure their spiritual vitality is a never ending power called the Holy Spirit, or how we said it growing up, the Holy Ghost. See, the third person of the Trinity is often considered the proverbial redheaded stepchild in the Trinity. It's, it's what us Christians, us Reformed folk, like to forget about. See, we often, uh, folks often bring up the Holy Spirit when we, and we quickly think, oh yeah, I, I, I forgot about him. I forgot about that. But that is not the sentiment we get here in Ephesians chapter three. Paul is couching his argument for the importance of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And he does so in a form of a prayer. He wants his audience, the church at Ephesus, to know that they will not flourish individually nor corporately if they rely on themselves He knows firsthand that when folks start operating out of their own strength, things tend to go awry. Oh, you remember the battle, the internal battle that Paul was enduring in Romans 7, where he was at war with himself because he could not get over the issue of him doing things that he desperately did not want to do. He tells us in Romans 7, 18 and 19, that I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, I keep on doing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? See, this brother was no different than those who he preached to. He, he is not too different than you and I who struggle daily to live in a world that is constantly pulling us and throwing us and taking our desires and affections away from God. See, the sense of urgency that Paul displays in verse 14 ought to indicate to us that this is a crucial moment in the life of this young church. Not too different than this church. Paul had just planted the church in Ephesians. This brother is on his knees pleading with the God of heaven and earth that he would empower this newly formed church full of Jews and Gentiles. See, this wasn't an ordinary church. It was one in which persons from the far left and the far right were called to worship together now. Oh, you think this political uh, culture is bad. You had no idea the relations between a Jew and a Gentile. Oh, you think racism in this country, in these yet to be United states, is bad. You have no idea what it was like for Jews and Gentiles. But yet, Paul said, because of Christ, now you have to dwell together. What a word for these times. See, Paul in chapter 1 is talking about this idea of spiritual blessings in Christ. He's reminding us of this mystery of the gospel, this mystery that's being revealed. It's Jesus coming for his people. And it's that mystery, it's that Jesus that can reconcile two opposites and make them into one body. You remember Ephesians 2. Uh, Christ has tore down the wall of hostility. He has reconciled those to himself. And now he's saying, hey, in order for you to survive within this church and outside of this world, you need the Spirit of God. So he's pleading with them. He's on his knees praying on their behalf. Paul has to make it clear that they won't survive nor thrive within their own walls. They need a power this world has never seen before. The Holy Spirit. See, God in the Holy Spirit expresses its power in a threefold way. The first of which is through his presence. What distinguishes Christians from the world is the indwelling of God's presence in their inner being. See, Paul in verse 16 is utilizing good theology here. He's proving that God is, in fact, more than adequate enough to be a source of unceasing power. In fact, he is the very epitome of power. What God do you know that could take nothing and make something? Ex nihilio power, Right? Not not two things colliding and there's a big bang, but it's a God that speaks and something happens. The world is created through word, not science. The phrase, according to the riches of glory, points to God's track record. God has shown his power throughout redemptive history. Time and time, his power bank, if you will, is, is deep, it's long. As me and Jalen used to say back in the neighborhood, he's got long money. He's got long grace. All this to say his power goes way back and the Apostle Apostle Paul is simply reassuring us. He's letting us know that you can trust in this power. It is not like the unreliable things that we touch and see and taste and, 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 and feel in this world. But it seems as though we, too, are just like this church in Ephesus. We, we, too, need what my grandmother would call a praise berry. It's when you need to remember what God has done in your life. See, what do you think it was when the walls of Jericho tore down after Joshua and his boys danced around it for seven times? Dancing? Tears down walls? No. Was God's power that tore down those walls. Or or, or what about when Moses stuck his staff in the Red Sea at the shores and the sea split and his people were delivered? It's a piece of wood. That's power. Or what about when the prophets of Baal uh, came against God's man and he said, hey, I, I bet you my prophets can rain fire and lightning down from heaven. And God's prophet said, okay, I'll sit back. I won't do a thing. I'm simply going to pray to my God because I know he will come through. And what happens? Those prophets of Baal, they were, tu- they were turned away. They were wrong. God's power rained fire from heaven. Friends, it is, it is this type of power that Paul is praying desperately for you to, sh- to show up in the life of these folks in order that they may have the strength, the, the, the bandwidth, the capacity live a transformed life sometimes you just got to get out of the way because when God shows up he isn't just simply asking for a room in your house no he, he he wants the whole house he wants to invade every square foot of that space with his presence and declare it as his see that house is your inner being it's your soul it's It's your heart, as one scholar puts it, it's your moral personality. It's that thing that drives your affections and desires. It's that thing that uh, uh, feels uneasy when things aren't right or affirms certain things when things are good. It's the thing that drives and directs you. God wants to to that. to that. But why? Why would he want to do such a thing? Why would he want such a thing? What reason does God have expressing his power in the world? It's because of love. See, there is not one instance where God does not use his power for the sake of his people. See, without God's presence in your life, you would never have the capacity to know or experience his love. It's a power that's foreign to us. It's it's alien to our nature. The reality of the human heart before Christ moves in is one of coldness. It's harsh. It's dead. It's stale. Paul tells us just a chapter ago what, what we were before Jesus moved in. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and minds, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That was me, that was you. That may be some of you in this very room, this very moment. And I would submit one question to you, if that is your predicament. What do you have to lose? You have tried everything else this world has to offer. It has left you sad. It has left you lonely. It has left you frustrated. You have tried to live with your own power, white-neckling life, Try Jesus. What do you have to lose? See, God's presence creates the space we all need to receive the love of Christ. Look with me in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul is showing us the second dimension of the Spirit's power, the power of love. The indwelling of Jesus in your heart is how one becomes rooted and grounded in love. The way these verbs dwell, the way these verbs are situated dwell rooted and grounded, show up in the original language, and they're very significant, the way in which Paul pins them. They carry the sense of perfection, of, of finality. Paul writes them in a particular order on purpose. Here it is, don't miss it. Before you can be rooted. And grounded in love that is perfect, you have to believe in a Jesus who is. You need faith. You need something outside of yourself to have this love. Now keep in mind, Paul is praying on behalf of his audience. He's hoping and desiring this to happen in the life of this church. So this has to beg the question, Does Christ own all of your real estate? Is he getting the full meal or just the leftover crumbs of your life? For some of you, he may not be getting anything at all. There is an addiction that owns your heart. It keeps Jesus at an arm's length. Your your need for clarity has made you anxious. It has led you to believe that Jesus isn't who he really is. Jesus can't own your heart because your love for country is in the driver's seat. Your political allegiance now overrides your allegiance to Christ. Then there's you who says Christ can't get, he, he can get the guest room, but he can't have anything else. He can get this this corner in the house, but he can't have everything else. You're afraid that if he sees the master bedroom in your closet, he will throw you away like everyone else has done. So what does a heart do when it doesn't want to be owned? It, it, It rebels. It chooses to love and trust things of the world rather than the one who created it. It tells you that you should put all your chips in your romantic relationships only to be left frustrated because he or she can't love you perfectly. And married folk, we do it too. We look to our spouses to fill us up with love that only Christ can provide. So we put unrealistic expectations on each other and then wonder why why we're always mad at each other. Because they can never fulfill what you desperately desperately need. That's not their role. On the other hand, it is hard for some of us to comprehend the truth of being grounded and rooted in perfect love. Because there has never been a day where you have experienced this in your own life. So what makes God any different? Well... Early Sunday morning, he got up. Jesus rose from the dead. He was hung to a rugged cross. They, nailed, they put hand, nails in his wrist. They put nails in his feet. They stuck a spear in his side. They beat him. They batter him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They told him he wasn't the king of the Jews. They told him he wasn't the king of the world. And he hung he hung and he died but early sunday morning 3 days later jesus got up and you want to know what it is that i need to know to believe this gospel is resurrection if that had not happened we would be chasing fools gold but he got up there is no more proof that you need to see the power of god work, and humanity than other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. He got up. When the going gets tough, you better have something sturdy and reliable, something that does not change with the seasons or times, but instead stays consistent. Who do you know would give up their own life and pay someone's debt? let alone the debt of the world. Sex, drugs, money, popularity, education, they won't cut it when life throws a curveball. Therefore, you better let Jesus dig deep and settle wide in your soul. But Paul isn't done. Here I am, I'm ending. I'm ending. Now we get the culmination of his prayer. We see it in verses 18 and 19. And this is what happens when Christ supplants himself permanently in us, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the love of Christ is an endless reservoir of grace. It, 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 you can't understand it. The human mind can't comprehend it. This is why we need the strength of God to help us in this endeavor. See, the direct results of Jesus holding you up in his love is not that you can love him more. Oh, you thought it was about you. But that you would see how he loves you. The reason why he holds you so that you would know that Christ loves you. You thought you knew how much Jesus loved you, but you really have no idea. See, without Christ in your heart, one cannot understand the density of his love. Paul is illustrating God's love for us in Christ with expressions that take on infinite measures. It's somewhat, somewhat like a father's love for his child. Winslow will never know how much her father really, really loves her. I, I don't have the words that can quite uh, uh, spell it out for her. For, for her to really understand it. But that doesn't make it not true. The truth is still the same. My love for her is infinite. The same is true of Jesus for you. You can be filled with all the fullness of God It is not enough that we understand Christ's love for us intellectually. It is immense, so deep that it surpasses knowledge and moves into experience. And so how does one become so full of God's love that it it moves past knowledge into experience? I'm done. I promise. I'm closing up. Here it is through Sunday worship. See, Paul ends his prayer in verses 20 and 21 in a sort of doxology. Paul is giving praise. He finishes prayer praising God. Here it is real quick. When believers come together and worship the living and triune God, all that power that dwells in the Trinity and the Godhead and all the big theological words, when all that is happening, when all that is coming together in Sunday worship, What not only dwells within you is now dwelling amongst us. It's what dwelling amongst us in experience. It is in these very moments where you get a fuller expression of his love, an expression that moves you from knowledge to experience. Sunday worship must be an integral piece to your walk with Jesus. It has to be. Because it enables you to experience the fullness of God in your life. You can't comprehend the love of God by yourself. You're only getting a glimpse of it. But when you walk into this presence on these Sunday mornings, you're getting something that words can't explain. When you're singing the songs and taking communion and listening in prayer and and hearing God's word preached, there is something happening to you. You feel it. You know it. Paul wasn't messing around when he said you would need the saints to comprehend the power of Christ. God wants our worship because he knows what's good for us. He knows what's good for you. See, Sunday was was the most day looked forward towards um, for black folk historically in this country. From 1619, to slavery, to post-Reconstruction, to Jim Crow, to 2020. The black experience in this country, Sunday was the most coveted day of the week. Because it was the one day of the week we could put on our Sunday best. We could hold our heads up high. We could have dignity. We could worship with one another. We could find some solace from the week of being beaten, picking cotton, being gunned down, being harassed. We didn't look towards the world. We looked towards our God. We came to worship because it told us that we were loved, that we were valuable, that we were needed. That we were created in God's image. It was these mornings that my ancestors could wake up and feel the, the, and know the experience of God's love in their life. Even though the other six days of the week, it didn't feel as that. They were being filled with the fullness of God. We knew it cognitively. We may know it cognitively, but we've got to experience it. Not all of us struggles the way in which I may struggle in this world, but you do struggle. And what goes on the six days of the week are not the answers. It's not the hope that you're so desperately seeking. It's these moments that God can speak to you and say, you are a lovable child. You are my child. Your career doesn't give you identity. Your work doesn't give you identity. Your family, your kids. Jesus gives you identity. That's what gets you going through the week. And then next Sunday, we do it again. Friends, you and I need power. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to grant us his presence and his love. And we need worship. We need his presence to be amidst this place. And it is. It is that thing. It is is that power that allows you to show back up here next Sunday. Amen. Amen.